Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. You can follow me on Facebook, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. I have a couple pages there, easy to follow and comment on. And this week, I really want to focus on three main topics. Maybe you can call them four, but there are three main topics that all bring me to a general uh, point I want to make uh, from, from experience about, about how to find out the truth and the lack thereof about certain issues. I want to talk about Amazon. I want to talk about the Green New Deal. And I want to talk about Israel's economy. And I want to show how all three of those things lead into some wisdom that I hope I can pass on about polling in America. Polls, surveys, and, and the like. And I know you probably think you've heard a ton of stuff about polls uh, especially since the election of 2016 and the accepted belief that all the polls were wrong about the 2016 election. And spoiler alert, it's only half true, and I'll explain uh, that when we get to it. But first off, let's talk about this Amazon story, because as much as this may f- seem like only a local New York story, this story being uh, Amazon uh, a few months ago decided that it would split its second headquarters, this second headquarters announcement that people have been waiting, had been waiting for for really more than a year, and, and more than 20 cities had really submitted very detailed uh, proposals and pitches to Amazon to get that second headquarters. And Amazon ended up delivering literally a split decision. They were going to split the second headquarters between Queens, specifically Long Island City, Queens, which is, for those of you who don't know New York City very well, New York City is divided into five boroughs. What most people consider to be the city is just Manhattan. But of course, we have Brooklyn, and we have the Bronx, and we have Queens. And Queens, uh, FYI, from a geographic point of view, not population point of view, but geographic point of view, is actually the largest borough. And Queens has a segment called Long Island City, which is very close to Manhattan, just over the river. And that was selected as one half of the second headquarters. The other half went to Fairfax, Arlington, Northern Virginia area, uh, suburb of Washington, D.C. And this week we learned that the chattering and some of the mentions we had heard of protests in the Long Island City area, the Queens area, against Amazon moving in there, which had been a local story in New York, really hadn't made the national news whatsoever. Uh, This week we learned that Amazon is starting to feel like these protests are getting a little bit out of hand, that the New York State Senate is starting to take on the voices of the protesters a little bit too much. And through the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who is the CEO and founder of Amazon, so you can pretty much believe the Washington Post has got an inside track here to the information, through a report in the Washington Post we learned on Thursday of this past week that Amazon is thinking about pulling up its stakes and not coming to New York in the first place. They, they won't come here. Okay, they know where they're not wanted and they won't come. Which, of course... Uh, has drawn a loud reaction from Governor Mario, uh, Mario, that's his father, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York, who said if Amazon doesn't come, it would be a disaster. He immediately pointed his fingers at his fellow Democrats in the state Senate for potentially scaring Amazon away. And I think he rightfully said, I don't have a lot that I agree on with Governor Andrew Cuomo, but he said that if those, if Amazon doesn't come to New York and those 25,000 or more jobs don't come here, it would be a real case of political malpractice. It would really be an economic disaster for an area that really would like to see that happen. And um, he's right about all those things. Um, I don't think 
that everything that New York State and Queens offered Amazon was necessary. Let me put it that way. I, I don't think that the people who are honestly upset or concerned about the tax breaks, apparently $3 billion in tax breaks in total, uh, which, of course, is a little bit of creative accounting. Uh, th- $3 billion in, in tax breaks usually doesn't mean all that uh, th- that much exactly. But let's just say it's billions or uh, of generous tax breaks that were given to Amazon. Now, I think that part of the argument, from the people who are honestly discussing that and saying that was too much of a concession, I think that's an argument worth having. And if I were the New York State Senate or the governor of New York, I would allow the move to take place, see how it's impacting the economy. And if there's any disappointment whatsoever in the numbers that Amazon brings, then I would call the Amazon board in and say, is there a way that we can renegotiate these tax breaks because the money that we thought we were going to get from this, the economic boost we thought we were going to get from this didn't happen. But So I think that's a discussion worth having. But the idea that you would push them out of the area is is ludicrous, and let me explain why. First reason is the polls. You may have heard, maybe from your friends or maybe from family, people who don't want Amazon to come into Long Island City. Maybe you've met somebody like that. Maybe you've met someone who says, oh, it's going to be crowded, or oh, it's going to drive the prices up. But the polls, and I'm talking about a hyper-local poll here, this is a poll of just Queens residents by Quinnipiac University, showed that 60% of Queens residents want Amazon to come in, and only 26% are opposed. So by better than two to one, the residents of Queens want this to happen, and that's, these are the people who are going to be affected by it. Second thing I need to explain to you, just from many years of experience of watching New York City politics, uh, I've been pretty much a constant resident of New York City since 1981. I took five years where I left for a while, but kept a close eye on New York during that time. And of course, I'm a student of New York City history. New York City, whenever an organization, a company, a university, something other than the government itself, tries to open up a new building, a new project... You have your usual suspect shakedown artists, and yes, I use that term advisedly, but I use it anyway. Shakedown artists who are both either community activists or usually members of the state senate. They're, they're the experts on this, but state assembly and city council members as well, who come in to see what they can get out of that project. So they pretend to be against it. They pretend to say, I don't want this building. I don't want this business. In the case of my alma mater, Columbia University, when they build new uh, athletic facilities uptown there in Inwood, you know, I don't want that stadium or I don't want that gym or I don't want that athletic building. They pretend that they don't want these things. What they really want is a bigger payoff. And invariably, they get a little bit of a better payoff. I, I know in the case of Columbia University, they gave a couple of local state senators and city council people some kind of honorary day there every year where they can basically get a free campaign event and, and go out and shake the hands of their constituents. For all I know, there's usually other instances where companies come in and do something like this, and suddenly a wife, a spouse, uh, a, a friend a cousin of one of the elected officials gets a big position at one of these companies. And I can guarantee you that 90% of the pushback from community activists and politicians in New York City who are supposedly against the Amazon move is really just another shakedown. They're looking for something from Amazon, and Amazon is smart. They know that this is the way that things get done in the city. So I think that they were either ready to do that, or especially in the case of their Fairfax-Arlington 
headquarters, or you know, again, the Northern Virginia area where they were going to put the second half of the second headquarters. I mean, don't be surprised if some of the top jobs end up going to the wives and husbands of congressmen and senators and their children and their friends. That's what they're going to do. And that's a good price to pay, I think, on Amazon's balance sheet. All they need to do is, is do that, and they get their tax breaks, and they get their, their location that they want. So, but what's going on right now is that Amazon is trying to call the bluff of some of these shakedown artists in New York, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them because in the end, it'll be a disaster for them if they're hyperbole, if they're pounding of the, the table about Amazon, which is phony in most of cases for the, from these activists. Uh, ends up taking away what they thought was going to be a payday for them. So let's see what happens on that scale. I don't want to sound completely insensitive here because I do believe there is one group of people who will be squeezed because of the Amazon move, if it goes through, to Long Island City. And that is people who are renting. Whether they're renting an apartment or renting a store in that general area, yeah, their rents are going to go up, in some cases significantly. Uh, and I do feel sorry for people in that situation. I have two things I'd like to say about that. For one thing is, um, it doesn't mean that you can't still take advantage of a situation if you are a renter. If you are a renter renting a one-bedroom, two-bedroom apartment in one of these areas that's along the 7 line, the 7 subway line, for those of you who aren't from New York, that's going to be affected heavily by the Amazon move, again, if it goes through. You know, this is the time to call mom and dad. This is the time to call your uncles. This is the time to call grandparents, friends, relatives. If you have any of those people in your life, and I certainly hope you do, who have a little bit of money and show them how uh, helping you buy an apartment or a home of some kind in the area is worth it and they will get their money back in in, in real short amount of time because we're already hearing about real estate values doubling already and, and Amazon hasn't even come yet in some of these areas. Um, I, again, if you are on the seven line and there's so many different, the seven line is an extremely long subway line in New York city, it goes all the way to the far West side of Manhattan and through Queen and through most, you know, half, about half of Queens. So it's a big geographic area. For those of you who take the seven line to go to Mets games and you're not on that express train, you know what I'm talking about. It's a long trip out there. A lot of short, a lot of stops, but there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of neighborhoods that will be affected. And I just have to say, if you are someone who does have some kind of a family, you are not selling them snake oil if you go to them and say, hey, help me get a down payment in for a condo or a co-op or to rent half a, you know, a mother-daughter, something like that in that area, because the chances of that real estate going up are, are basically guaranteed, again, as long as Amazon moves in. So if you're worried about that as a renter, I, I do feel for you. I think it's, I think it's rough when, when, when rents can just double overnight and it feels that way. But don't forget that you have an opportunity. If you don't have an opportunity for that, if you don't have family or reserves or, or your own money, that kind of thing, you know, it's time to start thinking about a, another neighborhood. And I think that that's rough and easy for me to say, although maybe not so easy for me, me to say. I've been in that situation. I, I mean, I've been a renter in New York City as a single person and as a married person. And I know it's, it's difficult and, and we've been there, but we can't allow people who are renting an apartment who don't have the kind of investment in a community to make the investment decisions or the economic decisions for a community for people who are invested full time. I mean, I know as a renter, you've put a lot of money into it, but it's rent. You don't own anything. And it should serve as a lesson a little bit that, you know, ownership brings its privileges. And if you can't afford to own something in New York City, maybe you want to own something somewhere else and be, and be a landlord somewhere else. 
When I, I, I've had coworkers, a young coworker who was making a decent salary, but not enough to own an apartment in New York City. But she had family in Philadelphia, and she could afford to buy an apartment in Philadelphia that she rented out. And there were two good things about that. One, she got the income from the renting, but also when you are a, a property owner in this country, the amount of laws that are in place in, in America to protect and to help you financially and to get you a leg up are many. Are many. So even if you can't enjoy it yourself, it's one of the things you should, you should explore. Uh, super poor people in the area... Uh, there's not a lot of super poor people in the area. For those of you who know Long Island City, for example, Long Island City was not a residential area until maybe 15 years ago. It was just unheard of for anyone to actually live in Long Island City. So we're not talking about an area that has an, you know, uh, an indoctrinated, uh, an entrenched, po- poverty-stricken, living in the slums, pro- you know, public housing type population. You're talking about people who are probably new to the area, relatively less than 10 years. And are renting. And for them, again, I, I hope that they can find a way to, to find another neighborhood. Maybe they will go to another neighborhood and make that a great neighborhood. Um, but renters cannot be allowed to stop the progress that the people who have made a true investment of ownership in a neighborhood. It's just the way it goes. Uh, ownership brings us privileges. And for those who don't have that, they will, you know, that's the risk that you take as a renter. And, and it's unfortunate, I know. But. That is, uh, that is the one group that I think have an honest uh, 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 beef here. But they're not really the people who are ba- making the problems for Amazon. Uh, those, again, are the shakedown artists, the, the, the city councils, city, state senate type people, and the politicians. And one of the politicians who cheered the news, she cheered the news on Friday, I think, or Thursday night, of the, the news that Amazon might not move to really a part of her area, you know, impacting her, her district as a congresswoman, was Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who tweeted her celebration that, oh, the people have risen up against a big corporation and they've won. Isn't that great? Or they look like they might win. Again, I would direct her to the polls. I mentioned already the Quinnipiac poll of Queens residents. 60% to 26% want this move. So I don't know what she's talking about, that rising up the people. I really don't. I don't think she does either. And then there's a national poll that I worked on personally for scottrasmussen.com. And again, I urge all of you, please log on to Scott Rasmussen, one word, scottrasmussen.com. Every day, we are doing some amazing polls on that website. Again, it is not Rasmussen Reports. That is Scott's old company that he sold. They decided to keep his name. Gesunter hate, fine. But scottrasmussen.com is a different organization, and he does daily presidential polls. He does daily congressional polls and daily issue polls, and I work on a lot of them. And this was one that I worked on about a month or so ago, and that showed that overwhelming percentage, a majority of Americans would love to have an Amazon or a big tech company come into their area and become the majority employer. Okay, and you can find that on scottrasmussen.com. Just to, just go on there and go in the search bar and, and type in Amazon. You'll see a number of polls that he's done. We've done about this, and I've written up, and he's written up. So it is just not the will of the people. And I think what's happening with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in, in addition to not the greatest political judgment, but I think what's going on with her and the other people who might be getting involved in this. Again, I think that there's some shakedown artistry going on. And there's also a problem that we're seeing in America today for politicians, a pitfall for them, which is they're listening to a, an overly amplified voice, a unfairly amplified voice, unjustly amplified, over-amplified voice on social media and among the, the, the activist folks on the street 
who really don't represent as, as large a group as you might think so. You know, it's very easy on social media if you know how to use the right tools and use the right buzzwords and do, and, and do all that stuff to make it look like you have a bigger following or make it look like your, your position is bigger than it is. And there is a silent majority in this country on a number of issues that just isn't either on social media or isn't looking to try to get, present a phony number for themselves as far as how many people that they influence. And I think that there's a loud group of people who got on social media who create a bubble and Ocasio-Cortez got into it, and she thinks that this is a great thing because she thinks that the majority of her constituents or majority of her fellow New Yorkers don't want this to happen, and she's just wrong. You know, the scientific polls and the scientific polls both locally and nationally just show that by far the, the answer is the other way around. They do want this to happen. And again, yes, as I said at the top of the program here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, I, too, am uneasy with some of the massive tax breaks that Amazon has received to make this move. But let's see how it goes. If I were being an honest activist, an honest advocate for the people in that area and for the taxpayers of the city, I would say this. I think that, that, look, based on what Amazon is doing and what they're promising for the amount of jobs, it's very likely that we are going to get our money back and more as far as the tax breaks go. But I, I reserve the right, and I think that this is what the New York City politicians should be doing instead of trying to scare Amazon away completely. They should be, be organizing or working hard to reserve the right for New York City after a year, two years, three years, whatever, whatever fair time period. And if the, if the amount of jobs created and if the economic impact isn't what they, even the somewhat conservative estimates thought it would be, then you drag Amazon in there and say, listen, we need to re rejigger your, your agreement and reserve the right to do that. And then we'll see how Amazon responds to that. To me, that's the fair response. The unfair response, the anti-democracy response, based on the polls and based on common sense, is to try to scare them out of town. To either shake them down or to really scare them out of town, what either reason. And it's also undemocratic and unfair to allow renters, however many they might seem to be, they're not as many as you think, to allow renters to tell people who have actually invested money and sunk their wealth permanently into ownership in the area and allow them to tell them what to do. You can't do that. Okay? They, you, a renter doesn't, a guest, frankly, a renter does not have the right to tell a landlord what to do with his property. They can decide not to rent there, and that's fine. But they can't, they can't do that. Now, legally, there's some things that landlords and, and landowners have to do, but I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone saying, uh, I'm renting your apartment, and you need to change to gas heat. Um, and if you respond to them and say, okay, you, I'm not doing that, you can rent somewhere else, and they say, no, I'm demanding it, and, and if you don't do it, uh, you know, I'll take you to court or put you in jail or something silly like that. So that can't be allowed either. Um, but speaking of Ocasio-Cortez, she and they had to find some patsy in the Senate who had actually been serving in government for longer than six weeks. That's, again, that's how long Ocasio-Cortez has been serving in our government, six weeks. And she comes out with this Green New Deal. You can look it up online. It's long. It's pie in the sky. It's certainly expensive. We're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. Some people estimate hundreds of trillions of dollars to implement all the things that she's promising in it. And again, they had to find some kind of a patsy who had experience in government to co-sponsor with her. And that was Senator Ed Markey, uh, who had been in Congress forever in the House of Representatives and has been a senator for a little bit shorter time. He's from Massachusetts. He's a Democrat. He's never going to lose an election. Uh, his 
one realistic uh, goal now politically, because he'll never go far further than this, is to hopefully, for him, his case, to die in office so that he, and not, not be ousted before then. That's really the best he can do. And so they, they patsied his, him into it. And it's a crazy, crazy plan. We learned a lot of this week about bad management when it comes to rolling out plans. And I don't say that to, to, to single out the Democrats on this. The Republicans have been pretty bad at this kind of stuff, too. And President Trump at times has been bad at it, too, although not so much with some of the uh, with every plan that he's proposed or the, the White House has proposed since he was elected. But this one was particularly bad. There was all kinds of stuff in it that made no sense. Uh, and then Ocasio-Cortez's office played a very dishonest an annoying gaslighting game uh, where they released a segment of the plan that included a line that said that the Green New Deal will offer a safety net and help for people unwilling to work. And then they deleted it. And when people first criticized her for it, the office said, oh, that's a lie. We never said that. You guys are crazy. That's the gaslighting. Then they admitted that they did put it up there, but they, it was an accident and they took it down. And now someone has come out and said, no, it wasn't an accident. They really did have that in the plan and they deleted it, you know, under pressure. So uh, listen, it, it's a crazy proposal no matter what. And how that got in there, I don't know if they didn't really mean it for it to be there. But that's just one of the crazy ideas. Other crazy ideas include a promise to end airplane travel in this country because it's not so friendly to the environment, apparently. Uh, I mean, all kinds of Stone Age type type nonsense, and this is the you know the so-called Green New Deal. Um, again, to mention uh, you know, somebody who really understands the way that the country works and feels, uh, you know, again, I have to mention Scott Rasmussen. He's written two books that really get into this. One was a book he wrote in 2012 called "The People's Money." And another book that's more recent came out last year called The Sun Still Rises. You can get both of those books on Kindle, by the way. And one of the major themes of both of those books, not to spoil anything, is that every major accomplishment in American history comes from the people first, and the politicians, if we're lucky, eventually follow. Usually what happens is the politicians block it for a long time. For example, abolition of slavery, which the people here in the North, for the most part, wanted for a long time. And the politicians blocked it. And then civil rights, which is a similar situation, and technology. All these kinds of things. The people come up with it first. And the government, which often acts as a roadblock to these, <laughs> these, this progress, eventually follows along when the change really takes hold. And then they have the, the chutzpah to take the credit for it. We see that with civil rights. You know, Martin Luther King was never elected to anything. He was not a politician. He was not a government person. And his successes for civil rights started to come long before anybody in Congress did a darn thing about it. Okay? And it was similar with abolition of slavery before that, and it certainly is similar with technology. And the government likes to take credit for all these things all the time. The government likes to take the credit for the internet because they allowed some funding for an idea. Sure, they allowed the funding for the idea, but not before they made it impossible for a lot of these pioneers to actually get the access to our telecom uh, infrastructure to really implement it. I mean, this is a long story. And it makes me think about Israel a little bit because we've seen a similar pattern in Israel, but thankfully, because Israel is a smaller country, uh, these changes seem to happen a little bit faster. So, for example, for those of you who have a memory of the way things used to be in Israel, in the 1980s in Israel, 
and, and to some extent in the 1970s as well. I assume it was worse then. If you wanted to get a phone, a landline phone in 1980s Israel, it took about a year. It took about a year. All kinds of red tape. It wasn't because of the technology. It was just red tape. And one of the biggest reasons why Israel became a real leader in the technology for cellular phones was necessity. People in Israel wanted to get a you know, gosh darn phone, and even though they didn't completely you know, invent the idea of the cell phone, they made it better and more accessible and easier to buy because they needed it. They needed it maybe more than any other country with any kind of technological infrastructure already in place. And then the government came around. Some of the things we've seen in Israel, though, have come from a little bit of a spark from the, from the private sector, from individual people, and then the government gets the picture. <clears throat> Some of you might know that Prime Minister Netanyahu spent a couple of years as the finance minister in Israel. And by the way, he was miserable in that job, personally, but he actually did a very good job. He did two very important things when he was finance minister. The first is he shored up Israel's pension problem. You know all those problems they have in Europe? And in Greece in particular, where they had these crazy pensions that they couldn't afford, and the countries basically went bankrupt. Netanyahu was worried that that would happen in, in Israel. And when he was finance minister, he reformed the pension situation into a more sustainable program. And there were riots in the streets about it. You know, there were protests and all that kind of stuff. But universally accepted is the fact that those changes that he made saved Israel from the fate of a Greece or, or a Spain or something like that. Another thing he did is he got out of the darn way when it came to biotech and pharmaceutical research. Israel's testing regime for new drugs and new biotechnologies is a much lower bar to, 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 uh, to, to scale if you're one of those companies. You don't have to go through as much red tape, which is why Israel, since that time, has been such a leader in those two areas. But again, that wasn't the government creating anything. That was the government getting out of the way of something. <clears throat> There's an important distinction, and that was something that Netanyahu helped happen. But again, you can't give the credit to the government for that. It's just a, a thank you for, for stop being a, a roadblock. So how does this all lead into polls? You know, my, my final two minutes here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, I want to talk about polls and how you need to read them. Uh, again, I've already given a big plug to scottrasmussen.com. Please log on every day and look at the polls there. They're really informative. But Scott has a fantastic methodology for getting at the truth of things. And when you look at polls for any kind of an issue, you've really first, you must look at the exact question that was asked of the voters. And if you were reading a story about a poll and they don't offer you a link or a transcript right there of the exact question that was asked of the people in the poll, then don't trust the poll. The question is almost everything in a poll. It really is everything. And if you don't see the question, then you can't trust it. So, for example, if you see a poll that says 80% of Americans oppose the border wall, and then you don't see what the question is, but then you find out that the question was literally word for word, do you support that bad guy Donald Trump's multi-billion dollar crazy plan to build a, a, a wall across 3,000 miles of territory. I mean, it's really like what we call a push poll. It's not really a poll. You've got to look at the question. Is the question fair? Is the question even-handed so that we can get a real answer from people and not a response to a campaign slogan? The second thing is, is there a series of questions that back up the original poll question to make sure the people are telling the truth? So let me give you another example. We've done a poll on scottrasmussen.com that, that will come out soon asking people what, about global warming and climate change. 
And we found that 80% of people feel that climate change is a very serious problem. But then we dug deeper because we want to see if they really want to put their literal money where their mouths are on that. And we asked them, how many of you are willing to pay any money in more taxes or in consumer spending to fix climate change? And a very large percentage won't, don't want to pay even one penny. About 40% don't want to pay even one penny to fix what they call a very serious problem. So then you get an idea of what honesty is in some of these polls and I, again, I, I urge you to look at those polls. I'll talk more about those in the future, but just keep that in mind. This has been Jake Novak. This is Novak Now. I hope to speak to you again next week.